Welcome to Storytelling with me, your host, Bessie B. Right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the last episode of the year 2019, which is also our anniversary, our one-year anniversary. Yes, we made it. How time flies. So to celebrate our one-year anniversary, our next guest is the incomparable, amazingly talented writer, Sarah Leamy, a fellow Brit, no doubt. Yeah. Sarah Leamy is an award-winning author, editor, and publisher. Originally from England, she's lived in Europe, Guatemala, and the States. She runs a literary travel writing website called wanderlust-journal.com. That's www.wanderlust-journal.com. And I am super excited for you to get to hear Turning 20 and Sheep Lifting. Enjoy. Stick around for the interview. It's really cool and wonderful. Turning 20. Afternoon in the pub with mum and dad. They're local, of course. You have a few quiet drinks together, although you're not really allowed one. Doctor's orders. Makes sense, but still. Your dad gets you half instead of the usual pint. Mum has a chardonnay. Dad has his bottle of some oddly strong beer. You all eat salt and vinegar crisps. The pub is fairly quiet for a Saturday. It's one you all used to go to years ago when you still lived at home. Now, though, you live in London. It's not the best time in your life. Broken teeth. You've been pregnant and now you're not. Failed college, broken-spirited. You quib that at least it's sunny on your birthday, but no one smiles. Your dad is in his striped shirt, a tie, top button undone. It's the weekend after all. His hair was cut recently and no longer reminds you of Einstein. You miss his crazy white hair. Your mum tries hard to keep you all talking, but it's not working. When it's time for another round, your dad goes to the bar and you head to the bathroom. You do your business, flush and wash your hands. The door opens and closes. Same story, different day. A female voice asks, am I in the wrong bathroom? You turn, tall, scruffy and pretty skinny these days, pale face, haunted eyes, and needle marks on your arm. She takes in your haggard, angry expression and backs out, hands up, panicked, screaming silently. She slams the door. You stand there and dry your hands before walking back out to your mum and dad. Your mum asks you what's wrong. You tell her. You can't hold it in. You tell her. Your mum stands up fast. This woman in the thick dark glasses and bleached albino body. She storms over to that woman and she tells her, my daughter is sick. She's getting poked and jabbed by doctors every day. Blood drawn, pills to medicate, MRIs, CAT scans, dentists once a week to fix a broken face, and all those bloody hospitals, and you dare judge my girl, she yells at the woman, slacks in a pale pink blouse. Your mum is relentless. 
She stands there, full of a mum's fire and ice. And this is why you hate your hometown and why you love your mum. Sheep lifting. Go on, Harold, go pee. The writer opened the door and checked the street for traffic. It was quiet. Go on, I trust you. Harold was an old dog. Well, not exactly old, just the far side of middle-aged. He was a good dog, honest and reliable. The writer wandered back inside, sat at the desk and stared at that metal bland object she loved more than him. He was bored. He decided to go and get himself a treat. Harold walked down the hill to Main Street when the voice at the corner said, Wait. He waited. When the beeps began and all the humans walked, Harold walked. He walked past the temptation of the popcorn maker, the bagel maker, and trotted past the booze cellar and into Sean's, the grocery store. He'd never been inside before. He was all rather excited. The doors opened when he stood there. The cashiers smiled at him. The other humans petted him. He was a big boy, with thick black fur and a red bandana. He looked pretty good, and he knew it. His tail wagged, sweeping from side to side, and so he strolled past the carrots and spinach, and towards the butchers in the back. He sniffed and found heaven. Rows and rows of dead animals, no hunting needed. He stood there, did Harold, nose sniffing deeply, jowls dribbling, and tail picking up speed. He stood on his hind legs and peered into the fridges. Sheep, cow, pig, chicken. Which one should he pick? Sheep, he decided. You don't come across them often, not something he gets to chase for himself. He chose a decently sized lamb chop with bone and clamped his teeth into it and drooled. He lay down for a quick chew. Yes, it was good. He took it with him as he strolled back down aisle three, wondering why the writer always made him wait outside. He had just stepped through the magically opening doors when a voice stopped him. Wait! Harold is a good boy. He waited. What do you think you're doing? A hand clamped his collar, and in surprise, Harold yelped. He dropped the meat. The hand let go to pick it up. I'll have to call your owner. Where are your dog tags? Don't you have any? Should I call Animal Control to take you? Come here, dog. Poor thing. Don't you have a home? Home. Harold thought of home. He bared his yellow teeth and then ran. Oh boy, did Harold run. Up Main Street, along State Street, waiting at the crossing like a good boy. And then home up the stairs to his home. His writer hadn't moved. She glanced up at him, standing in the doorway. Did you go pee? Harold turned around. He'd forgotten about that. He walked back downstairs and thought about getting a treat. Thank you for agreeing to come in on the show. I know you've been busy the last, what, year, two years with um, um, your MFA program. How was that all in all for you, the experience? I have to say it's probably one of the best things I've done for myself. Good. Why? Um, because I've been writing in a vacuum. You know, I live here in New Mexico, pretty rural, pretty quiet, go socialize in Santa Fe briefly, but um, I don't really know any writers or any working writers. And so putting myself in a situation 
where um, that's all we do is talk about writing and critiquing and helping and suggestions and questions and new writers I've never heard of and meeting authors and poets. And it just blew my concept of a writing career open. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like I actually have a career. Like mm-hmm. I'm treated with respect. I've met a whole bunch of people that treat me as a peer, as an equal. And I'm in it and I'm doing it. And who knew? it is um a breathtaking i think for me when i'm looking at the writing world because when i think about the first thing that i wrote um i think about oh gosh 2011 whenever that was and i look back on it i'm actually ashamed that i got people to read it not ashamed but i'm like oh god geez because being Uh with other writers has opened my eyes to the possibilities of the word and how language can be expressed in so many different facets and different ways. Yeah, and getting the skills to write the stories that we want to tell in the ways that we want to tell. Right. And I think that's huge because mainstream culture doesn't really tell my kind of stories like I'm kind of I'm I'm bored with what I see on in fact I don't even watch tv or movies anymore (laughs) because there's so rarely anything that that captures my story it feels um I don't know It, it it doesn't speak to me so finding ways that I can speak up for myself has also come from meeting people that are telling the stories that I want or telling stories in ways that I like And I'm like you can do that I didn't know you could do that right it's permission, I guess, you know? Yes. Permission and validation. Validation. I love that word. We're going to talk about two of the pieces that you sent in that yeah. are just, that blew my mind. One okay. of them is Turn in 20. Yes. That is a I have really, it in front of me. Okay, great, because that's a deep one for me. And then Sheep Lifting. <laughs> right. I like that one. Oh, my God. <laughs> the, I mean, I went, oh, my gosh, yes. So... I'm going to start with um, turning 20 and okay. just bringing up my questions here. Yeah. So right. what is important for me to express here, and I think for the listeners, is that this piece seems, and um, correct me if I'm wrong, a very biographical piece. And yes. what really got me was how there's a lot of subtext in that piece. And I want to know why you chose to write about yourself in the first place because that is a very scary place for a lot of people to be to say I'm going to open myself up to the world to read about me in this context were you never afraid of going here I mean what really spurred you on to want to write something about yourself in such detail um I would say for this piece it's I rarely go into writing telling myself I'm going to write about a specific thing. So it came out. So it kind of came out pretty much close to what you saw. I mean, it's been edited some and condensed down. But um, one of my mentors, Juliana Baggett, would give us prose poems or poems to read and then um, just to take however that inspires us and then go write a page. Mm-hmm. And so we would have to do that once or twice a week, just free write something. And I found that through taking classes with her for, um, I think it was four months, I found myself writing a lot about London and writing about why I left England. Because mm-hmm. remember, this is, I've gone to, I've gone from New Mexico, well, 
England, New Mexico, New Mexico to Vermont. No one there knows anything about me. You know, unlike a, here at home in New Mexico, everyone knows me, so they don't ask those questions. Right. Where are you from? Why did you leave? Why are you here? Why are you an immigrant? And so I found that I started um, the that was sort of the background noise in my head whenever I wrote. I felt like I was explaining things to people, explaining why at 50 I've moved across country to start again at an MFA program, you know, or why I left England at 25 to come to the States. So it just sort of happened. And then this one is, um, yeah, it's very revealing. And it's very, um, there's a rhythm to it. I mean, it just keeps going. There's not, it's not divided up. It's just one solid little block right. prose poem, I guess, or micro memoir, really. And it just came out that way. And when it finished, it just felt very solid, as if it encapsulated a whole year in my life in one paragraph. And it did. Well, for me, I felt like I was really there with you in this Good. pub with mm-hmm. your parents and um, what you were going through, there is there are some lines in here that I'm going to read back to you because of the way you structured okay. it. It says, um, I love this, it's not the best time in your life, broken teeth. You'd been pregnant and now you're not. Failed college, broken spirits. You quibbed that at least it's sunny on your birthday, but no one smiles. That line right there, those lines, they say so much. Hmm. Now, when you say that just came out, I'm trying to figure out why you're being so honest. I suppose that's the only <laughs> question. <laughs> I think I've written a lot of fiction and writing these little blurbs just comes out direct experience. Mm. I don't think it's, um, and I think maybe because of it being in a class exercise and something we didn't have to share if we didn't want to, except with our, our mentor, our teacher, um, that also gave me a free reign to just go there. Right. Well, I think it was really beautiful. I read it, I think, three or four times. Do you feel that you um, you have unfinished business with the UK? Um, probably. I have no desire to go back to live there, I'll be honest. Right. And I think a lot of that does come from those experiences that this piece, you know, captures. Because it was ongoing. It's not like it was any one big thing that happened and I left in reaction. But there was a, just a, a discomfort for me being, you know, I'm a tall, scruffy dyke that's kind of androgynous. And some people think I'm a boy, some people don't. And just to constantly have or need to have a thick skin. And mm-hmm. I don't. Obviously, and you you, <laughs> you mean you don't have a thick skin to deal with to it? To deal with or it, or to just you, push it aside, okay. or to make fun of it, or to you know that I mean you know the English culture is very much um, teasing. You know, right, we tease yes. each other yes. on everything, and there's a very fine line between teasing and bullying. To me, right? If someone's not laughing, then you pretty much you're bullying them, but you can't say anything because then they tease you for not being you know so it's a catch-22 yeah so it's a catch-22 and I think partly why I'm so comfortable in the states is as a foreigner there is none of that baggage like I don't I I sort of sidestep a lot of people's cultural baggage of what they expect or don't expect from each other 
So I get to just this be me. very true. <laughs> yes. And you're right. You're right. I can be whoever I wish to be here right. and no one questions me. I, I'm just that weird foreigner and that's just fine. Yep. You're the writer and the publisher and the, you know, presenter that does this and that. And you ju we're just accepted as we are, which I think people don't get unless they step outside their own cultures. I agree. Agreed. Agreed. Now, another question I want to ask about this, please, because, again, it is so yep. um, um, to you. Are you not afraid of what others may think of you now that they've read your piece where you've laid yourself open? Yes, I have had some not I wouldn't even call it backlash but I've had people that then treat me differently or they feel like they know me or we're best buddies or you know that because I recently I've been writing such raw stuff like this they're like oh well she tells me everything I, I know her really well I know her really intimately and they can get even possessive over, over me I'm like hmm. no <laughs> <laughs> I'm just writing. I really appreciate that you like my writing and like what I say and write and connect with it. That doesn't make us best friends, <laughs> right? I don't know how to. I, I, I don't know how to be nice about it, but be nice about it because it's tricky. No, but you're right. It is tricky. I would, um, you know, I think you're braver than I. I don't think <laughs> I will be in that position where I'd be able to lay myself bare in my own writing when I think about the last piece that I've just written um, that you edited for me uh -huh. um, there's a bit of me in there in certain passages but you know no one could put their finger on it and say aha that's it that is you that's this is you right. and so that that's that's safety there's safety in that have you ever done any first person writing of that kind or yes I have yeah. um, I did and I published that in my um I mean, I did. I had to. I uh, it was part of my piece that I used to get into UCLA. So it was uh, a, it was an open piece. Okay. But it was still safe. It was still pretty safe. <laughs> so. Do you want to? Um, yeah. Does this inspire Do you to? I want to. Hmm. It's funny. No, not really. <laughs> I'm. <laughs> I, I I really am that too much of a coward of that. I like being in the background, and I um, I remember when I used in Paris, I used to sing. I sang for a whole year to see if I could do it, uh -huh. and I loved singing, and I was making way more money singing, but what I didn't like was how people just assumed they knew me after I'd done a set, yes. and they would be there, and they'd be in my face, and they wanted to touch me, and wanted to talk to me. And I wonder if that's how it is for, you know, a lot of the very famous writers and screenwriters and poets and that that sense of intimacy, it seems like the more we put ourselves out, the more people respond to us, which mm -hmm. we want. But then, I mean, I'm lucky. I live in the middle of nowhere. No one's going to find me. But, you know, you're in a little more of a public place. And how do, we, <laughs> how do people maneuver that or manage that and have right. healthy boundaries? I don't know. I don't know either. Um, I mean, one of the reasons I did choose to be a writer, apart from the fact that I love writing, is because I thought, well, it is behind the scenes. And to a certain extent, even right. here in L.A., it is you're still behind the scenes. Um, people, you, you can say a million years my name and say she's the writer of this and that. Only okay. people who write screenplays would really seek me out. Yeah. Ah, um, okay. Fans of a film couldn't give two hoots. I, I completely agree. Although I have to say, I do love uh, being on stage and reading my work, and yes, being yes. that, being that public person and connecting and chatting to 
those who like to read my stories or memoirs or whatever. But um, there, are, I definitely have to be able to come back to my little ranch on the hill, my little cabin on the hill, and have complete quiet. But all of that is under your control. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like you set the pace. You're like, okay, I'm going to read my work. You're going to talk to me about it. Great, blah blah blah. And now it's time for me to go. Thanks right. very much. Which is great Bye. for which is why I'm really getting into the um, experience of going to writers' conferences and retreats and things like that. Residences. Because then I'm immersed in it and I have, kind of like the MFA program, I have these amazing conversations and inspirations and validation and ideas and then I come home. <laughs> and then I pet the dog and the cat and, you know, life is good again. But having that having that brief um, interlude with different writers is incredible for me. And I definitely need both. And. Tell me about your um, return to education. Um, uh, the Americans like to call it, um, I think the, the term is non-traditional student. <laughs> yeah, that would be me. <laughs> me too. <laughs> so um, what inspired you to do that? Um, you did, <laughs> my friend. Really? <laughs> yeah, you did. Oh. Our conversations in Santa Fe, and um, I think I had just come I'd probably been, you know, taking my little short trips and traveling around and writing and publishing bits and pieces. And you were applying for your MFA and we would talk about it. And you were doing courses in Santa Fe at the college mm -hmm. and we'd talk about it. And then one day you're like, why don't you look into it? And so I did. Oh. And within a month, I think I... I think I then suddenly once you got once you got accepted and then you moved from Santa Fe to LA for this for the MFA. I think it was within a month or so. I remember it being like October, and suddenly your voice echoed in my head. Of why don't you look into it? And I did, and I got really excited, and then I got accepted. Oh, <laughs> I'm so because I was so happy for you, because I've always admired because I read a lot of your um, blogs on your journeys uh -huh. and I've always loved the way you, you, you know, you're writing. And so, um, I'm so, I'm so happy. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have made a difference in someone's life. Yay. Yay. There you did. You did. <laughs> I knew that, um, yeah, things would stay the same unless I pushed myself and stepped outside my comfort zone and I'd regret it if I didn't try. I knew that if I, you know, it was worth trying to, get accepted and then I figured I'd work that out if I got accepted then when I got accepted to Vermont College of Fine Arts then I had the okay then how do I do this <laughs> but and is it do I really want to do it and yes I did really want to do it and yes it was a struggle and yes it wasn't easy I felt very um disconnected in many ways it's not my culture and you know there were there's one other the same age as me uh man um, Paul to the same age and then there's another woman who's just turned 40 so like 10 years younger and the rest are in their 20s and I'm like you know we have very different stories and needs and ways but I'd say that also that was a great thing because then all the poets and writers and professionals coming in were my age and so they treated me as an equal so I went out for dinners and drinks and chats and conversations and 
So I think that was actually a really good aspect to it. What advice would you give others who were thinking about writing a self-biographical pieces like yourself? Um, I would say just write it and don't think about the audience. Like write whatever, write whatever you're compelled to write and then slow down and go back and go deeper. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Because I think we, uh, until you sort of, it just writing f without editing yourself, like first draft, obviously. Right. But the, the first draft, if, you, if you're editing yourself at the first draft, I worry that um, it's not going to feel deep enough. It's not going to feel vulnerable enough. Agreed. And I think there's something to, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm only just starting to understand like creative nonfiction and memoirs and things and look a bit more closely, but seems like a good collection has um, a theme or a question that the, that the writer, the narrator is trying to discover in that process. Mm -hmm. So whether it's a little one piece like mine that you referenced, the turning 20, you know, in that it would be the case of, oh, was, this was kind of the final straw. You know, there was a bad time and this was the final straw that summed it up. And cultural and family and all of it and I think that when you come across a good collection or a good play even that's very deep, there's some question that's being answered by the end of it. I'm going to talk about sheep lifting now. <laughs> this oh, was Harold. such a <laughs> fun piece. I just love Harold. And the first question is, you had to have gone into the mind of Harold, right, as the writer. Yes. What made Harold you? Harold is my dog, everybody. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love Harold. I loved it. So, is this Harold's trait to go around shoplifting, sheep lifting? <laughs> no, but I, he's so food focused and he's such a good boy and he doesn't uh -huh. like to disturb me when I'm writing, but he's always like, come on, let's do something. And I just had that little picture of well, what would happen if he did go outside and walked away and I wasn't watching. It really felt like he had a GoPro on his neck <laughs> and I was following him and he was just such a hoot. <laughs> He's such a little sweetie. I've been doing a cartoon to go with that too, to make it into a little illustrated cartoon. But... Oh, please, please. Um, I, I know the audiences will, will love this piece because it really was uh, fun to read and um, your, very, your writing's very controlled. Again, is this something that you've you've decided to do? I mean, there's not a lot of fluff in this writing, but at the same time, it's not, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Even though there's not a lot of fluff to it, it's very precise uh, and very clean. That's a good word. Yeah, so clean is a good word. I like that. I think I'm just drawn to it these days. I'm not really into, I don't think any of my writing is very, has ever been that flowery. I'm no good at metaphors and images and similes, very grounded. Mm -hmm. But I think with this one, my groundedness put me inside the body of an 11 year old dog who likes yes. treats. <laughs> yes, very much so. And so I think it, it really um, suits him, suits the dog perspective of very simple short sentences and everything's very factual as well as you know dog perspective goes. Like the, you wait at the corner when the voice says wait, and then when the voice says go, you go. And mm -hmm. I think it was, um, it just sort of came came that way. But I do like writing very uh, 
simple, straightforward stuff these days. Oh, I'm, I'm enjoying the why. Um, I, I wonder if it allows the reader to imagine more themselves as opposed to being told what to imagine. Ah. I don't mm. know. It just suits where I'm at right now. I don't feel like I need to add a lot. And I'm enjoying um, things that are very concise and brief. And so would you have said in the past that your writing was more f um, flowery? I don't think it was ever flowery, but it might have been more long-winded. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> it might have taken me this piece that we're talking about the sheep lifting is mm -hmm. a page about yeah. 250 words you know if i'd tried to do that i don't know five years ago i wonder if it would have come out at like five pages right i don't know but i think there's a magic to this one specifically which i really love because it's so short i can see this as a short animation yeah, wouldn't that be amazing? That would, I would really love be cool. it if someone did that. So, if anyone is a, an animator and would like to turn this into a, an animation, contact myself or or um, Sarah, and um, yeah, let's make this happen. Yeah, um, that'd be great. That'd be yeah, hilarious. It, it would. <laughs> it really would. It's a really wonderful piece. Um, I think writing short and precise, especially in screenwriting, is um, that took me a while. I found mm -hmm. myself. Um, always struggling to try and tell the story. And it, at, at one point in my life, I had to say, you know what, just write that first draft. Yep. And then when you go back to do the rewrites, that's when you can, I call it putting the meat on the skeleton. The skeleton is me just getting the first draft out. And yep. then, then take your time putting the meat on the bones. I agree. I think for me, it's the the story comes first, and then yes, the details come after. Yes, and the decision decision of how many how many details, um, what do we need to see, what do we need to know, mm -hmm. and also one thing I'd say out of doing the um the college degree was learn was realizing um I have to let I have to trust my reader, I can't right. spell things out for them. I have mm -hmm. to, and the more I seem to treat the reader with respect and with trust the better feedback I'm getting, the better connection I'm getting. So you're saying that going back to um, college unlocked some writing skills for you? A lot of skills, yeah. Definitely made me aware of um, different ways things can be done because we had some people in the class that were poets and, you know, I had to have a hard time understanding what they were getting, what they were actually describing, but I could feel the emotion of it. And I could leave with this great emotion, this great upsurge of either sadness or joy or fear. But if you asked me to tell them what had happened in the story, I wouldn't have a clue. And so there's that lyrical, poetic use of emotion through words was something I'd never come across. And then there was someone else that would just do these um, very short, sharp little flash pieces and others that were historical novelists. And we had, you know, within a class of 18 of us or so, we had such a range. And so our conversations would talk about all the different ways you get things across, whether it was through screenwriting, like my friend Blake was doing and learning about how much you do put in and how much you have to trust the action to tell the, to tell the audience. And I think that's what 
going back to the initial question was, I think that's what I've got from kind of doing screenwriting is you don't need to explain the emotion. You just show what's going on. Show, do not tell. <laughs> yeah, I know. Cliché, but there's, there's, there's a reason. It seems to work a lot. What types of um, challenges have you had to grapple with um, with writing for you? Or maybe you don't have any challenges. Um, I really like getting the story out. <laughs> and I have a... Once the story's out, I'm not so interested in doing the revision. And I'm still oh. not so interested in doing the revision. Because I'm like, oh, I got it. See, there oh. we go. That's the story. Interesting. I'm not a perfectionist. I'm an impressionist. So if someone gets the a good enough impression of the story, I'm happy. <laughs> oh, so say that again one more time. You're not a perfectionist. I'm an impressionist. Oh, is how okay. I kind of think of it. So, I mean, <laughs> I would love to find... Um, I have a couple of friends that, you know, help edit work for me with me and stuff. But I would love to just keep writing out my new stuff and handing it over and just getting an editor to just go with it. <laughs> to refine it. And I'm the complete opposite. I, I think struggle most to get are. it out. <laughs> I'm just like, get it out, get it out. As soon as I get it out, then I can breathe and do what I believe I'm better at, which is the rewrite. I love sitting down and mulling over a line. I love thinking about a dialogue and thinking about a simpler way that is full of subtext to say it. I don't like monologues. I can't stand right. monologues. <laughs> um, God, I really can't. I really just love a couple of lines that says everything mm -hmm. in those couple of lines. Mm -hmm. um, and that means thinking about those lines over and over and over again. And um, that's, that's, you know, even, you know, when I read over my work, sometimes I'm surprised about what I've written because I get so involved. I forget that I actually wrote it. Right. Yeah. If you put it aside for a while, especially, I notice that. Yes. If I go back and go, oh, oh okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm going to ask you who or what inspires you as a writer? Um, I read so much and so voraciously. I probably mm -hmm. read two or three books a week. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and funnily enough most of those don't stick in my memory but hmm. i get something out of them i enjoy them i enjoy the reading and then the, the, the details uh, yeah i stay with the impression i don't remember the details but when i've heard people when i go to readings that's what inspires me when i go to readings or i hear podcasts or recordings of people on stage reading their work phenomenal to me um this summer right. i heard um wendy c ortiz do you know her she's in la mm, um no, she's a. Uh, you actually might like some of her work I like checking it out um memoir fiction short pieces um very creative very imaginative um good kind of subculture non-mainstream stories and lifestyle and I saw her, or I heard her, uh, in Vermont this summer. She was great. Um, others I've heard that have shifted me towards this more condensed style is um, Patricia Smith, the poet. Okay. Yes. Matthew Dickman, um, Juliana Baggett, uh, novelist Connie May Fowler. Um, a lot of people that came through Vermont. 
um, in the different aspects of different teachers or classes or readings and different events I've gone to even um, in like AWP was really good for that too. You know, the big national association of writers and poets. Yes. Uh, their national conference. If ever anyone, whether you're in a program or not, or writing on your own or not, if you can go to that, I absolutely recommend it. The the level of presentations, the number of presentations, the number of readings is mm -hmm. phenomenal. And a week, you know, a long weekend. Just incredible. Where is it? Or is it, does it move around? It moves around. This coming year is going to be in San Antonio, Texas. Okay. Yeah, first weekend in March, I believe. And um, I've been a, a mentor for them in their national program. So working with someone, a younger writer, on her short okay. stories. And she just got her first book published. Yay. Yeah. So that kind of community building. And I think seeing people and listening to people, Eileen Miles, I got to see um, at a festival, a book festival. She blew me away. I had no idea about Eileen Miles and Lydia Yuknovich and just all these people are just Pam Houston. Some amazingly strong women writers, I guess, are what I'm drawn to right now. I, I can see, yeah, I'm looking at um, Eileen Miles. She's a poet as well, right? Poet yeah, fiction, amazing poet. Fiction. If you look her up, if you look her online at her website, there's a whole bunch okay. of recordings of her doing her thing. And my, um, I had to write a critical thesis for my MFA, and mine mm -hmm. was on basically on androgynous voices. And okay. so I referred to uh, Jeanette Winterson, Lydia Yaknovich, and Eileen Miles. I used those three as examples of giving me permission and validation as a writer. So tell me, if you could go back in time and, and tell your younger self something, what would it be? What advice would you have given yourself? Um, to be more confident yourself? about myself. Okay. It's not, I mean, I had a certain amount of confidence in that I left home and did all the things and travels and everything I've done on my own and quite happily. But I wish I had um, believed in myself as a writer and teller of stories earlier. I think I would have enjoyed doing this at an earlier age. Hmm. I think you and I are on the same path. Yeah. I keep I keep thinking, I wish I had more guts to have done this sooner because I would have loved to have been writing at a much earlier age. Yeah. Uh, right, you know, sending things out. I didn't, I was, yeah. you know, writing and making things for myself. And usually when I'd stay with people, I'd write them a little story and then I'd leave it with them and so there's probably a whole bunch of my things out there but <laughs> <laughs> anyone that ever took in a little stray hippie called Sleem they, they'd probably have a story <laughs> but um you know I don't know yeah I I think it would have been good for me to know that um I could get I could work like this I could do this work I could make a career but I do love it now. Better late than never. Better late than never. And you are so good. Your work is so beautiful. I, I really love reading everything. Thank you. And so that wraps up our little meeting. Thank you so much, Slim, for coming on to the show. Do you prefer Slim or Sarah? Most of my friends call me Slim and um, 
publish, I'd go by Sarah Leamy just because it's easier. It's more, I don't know, professional. But thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I feel very honored to be one of your guests. Oh my gosh, this show has only been going for a year. And so it's nice to finally have you on and round the year off for us. What I do want to ask you is um, if people wanted to get hold of you, if you have any work out there, please tell us. Do you have anything published right now? Um, yeah, I just had um, uh, two poems published. One is in the 2019 Best Emerging Poets of New Mexico by Z mm -hmm. Publishing. And um, another one, one of the on the same theme of like immigration, uh, just got reviewed or got published by Dunes Review in Michigan. Oh, nice. Yeah, and then um, people can just go to my website of saralimi.com and I'm constantly updating and publishing odds and ends of my own up there. So they're welcome to get a hold of me through that. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Slim. We look Thank forward, you very or much. I certainly am going to look forward to the next round of guests that we bring onto the show. We will be as exciting and as exhilarating as the guests that we've had on our show for 2019. Until then, my friends, stay good to yourself, stay good to one another, and stay blessed.